Thank you for that. And we'll go to our Bibles tonight, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> Good to see some of uh, Dave Marceau's family here tonight. He's always bragging how his grandkids are better looking than any other in the world. And now, uh, you know, I only see, I only know four grandkids that could give them a run for their money. Sorry. So, well, that, my own, just in case you're wondering. I'm a little biased, so. Uh, but it's good to have you folks here with us tonight. Second Timothy chapter 1. I wanted to add one thing, well, a couple of things before we read. Uh, Pastor Forsberg was talking about uh, sometimes we expect unsaved people to act saved. I, I think that that's a big mistake we make a lot of times. But then uh, what gets a lot worse than that is when we, uh, we do expect saved people to act saved. Amen? That would be a good thing. And sometimes we see saved people acting worse than the unsaved people. And so let's... Make sure our testimony stays strong there. Thank you for that challenge there. Second thing I want to challenge you with tonight is we start our Prophecy Conference Sunday morning. And so we've been looking forward to and praying for that. Uh, I hope you can attend it. And uh, if you would take one of these tonight, it's right behind, beside the bulletins, a stack of these. After Sunday, these flyers aren't any good. So uh, take them, hand them out, uh, and, and just uh, invite somebody to the meeting. Uh, the gospel will be presented, especially on Sunday morning, and so uh, th this is uh, this will be a good thing, good time of learning for us. So, hope you can be a part of that prophecy conference. Second Timothy chapter one. Uh, we are living in a world of uncertainty and doubt. Uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of unrest, you could say. Uh, we've been talking about that, but that's been the case for the past few months. Uh, many people are struggling with fears about the future. Uh, pressures of things going on now. Uh, you know, even the last few days, you hear about, uh, I heard, got a call last night from someone that, you know, the, the price of uh, natural gas, uh, quadruple, what's five times? Not That's more than quadrupling. Uh, five timesing. And, uh, you know, just different things that can unsettle us. You know, the best-selling uh, prescription drugs in America are for depression, anxiety, and uh, I want to look tonight at an answer from Scripture, God's answer for His children, and that is He offers us His grace. We've been talking about grace on Wednesday nights, and tonight I want to look at the role that grace plays in assurance during difficult times. We're going to look at the promise of God to provide us with power, love, and a sound mind. That is what we need today to deal with the things that are going on. Now, before I read here, we're going to read verses 5 through 9, but before I do so, I just want to throw something extra in here a little bit. This is a letter really of rebuke to Timothy. Uh, Timothy is dealing with a timidity problem. Uh, he's not standing up as strong as he should, and so Paul is, is uh, you could call it a letter of rebuke, is really uh, calling him to kind of buck him up and tell him that he needs to do the right thing and don't anybody despise your youth and uh, you know stand for what's right and but look at how he kind of starts the letter here verse 2 to Timothy my dearly beloved son grace mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord what a nice rebuke huh <laughs> nice way to start it amen uh, he, you know you can be kind and still preach the truth you can be nice and still give people what they need to hear, which Paul was here. And I find another interesting as well, only in the pastoral epistles do you find the word grace in, I'm sorry, the word mercy in, uh, 
I don't know if you ever knew that, Pastor Forsberg, but only, only in the pastoral epistles do you find the word mercy in the greetings. <laughs> Why? Pastors need mercy. All right, They just do. Uh, we all need it, but pastors need it uh, in a good dose. Let's look at verse 5 now. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Verse 8, Be not therefore ashamed, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, and there it is, and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Father, I pray you'd help us now in the next few minutes here. Bless the reading of your word and our comments on it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the first century church faced a great deal of persecution. Christianity was not a socially acceptable religion. If you announced that you were a Christian, if you put a bumper sticker on your chariot, buggy, whatever you had back then, all right, it was not a popular thing. You could lose your job, you could lose your freedom, you could use, lose your family. And so it's not surprising that many of Paul's letters open up with that grace to you. You know, they... Pray for one another constantly. Every day and night I have thee in my prayers. And so these people needed the grace of God. And listen, we need the grace of God today. The grace of God is not a one-time thing. We get saved by grace. I've been saying this every week. Hopefully it's starting to settle in. We are saved by grace, amen? Not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the of grace and mercy of God that we're saved. And then many of us kind of think that's where grace ends. We're saved by grace, and then uh, we almost revert to like a religion where we're saved by grace. We aren't, <clears throat> excuse me, we aren't, you know, religion. Uh, I hate religion. I think God hates religion. You know, the, the idea of do, do, do to try to earn our way to heaven. All right, that's not Bible. That's religion. Uh, Christianity is not spelled do, it's spelled done. And so uh, that's what... We uh, hold on to, as the Bible here, that God provided our salvation by grace. But then we kind of switch to religion in our Christianity, thinking that it's, I have to earn my approval and merit from God. I've got to uh, sanctify myself, and we're just not going to do it. We need God's grace every single day of our Christian life. It continues daily. Receiving God's grace is not a one-time event. Timothy needed a special measure of grace for the ministry that God called him to. Apart from the grace of God, let me tell you, you, you we, none of us can effectively minister in any area of our, uh, whatever we do in the church or whatever we do for the Lord, we're not going to be effective without God's grace. Whether you're pastoring a church, teaching a Sunday school class, discipling a convert, uh, working on a bus route, witnessing to the lost, uh, being a good spouse, being a good parent, all these things it really aren't able to be done without a measure of God's grace in our life. We need grace to grow personally. We need grace to be a help and encouragement to others. And in our text here that we read, Paul gives us a contrast between two spirits in verse 7. When I say spirits, I'm talking about the our inward spirit, uh, how we feel and how we are uh, acting here. 
One is the spirit of the world, characterized by fear. The other is a spirit of grace, characterized by power, love, and a sound mind. Now remember that 2 Timothy, this is Paul's last letter before he goes home to be with the Lord. Uh, He wrote it in prison shortly before uh, he was executed by Nero. Paul was not speaking about grace theoretically. He was living it, and now he's imparting it. Man, I love the fact that Paul, knowing what's probably going to happen to him soon, and he's being an encouragement to his son in the faith, Timothy. So, uh, let's look at how grace provides us with reassurance. The first thing he mentioned is power. It gives us, uh, the for God had not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. His grace reassures us with power. Grace gives us God's power for our daily lives as in so many areas, the world offers substitutes and they're always poor substitutes. We are never going to find in the world what God offers through His Word. And so the world will offer substitutes, the power of positive thinking. Common to hear people talk about that. And by the way, I like positive thinking. I got nothing against positive thinking. Uh, I like positive people. Don't you like being around people who are positive? I mean, do you enjoy negative Nancys? I don't. I want to be around positive people, but we have to be careful that we don't rest on that for our power to do right and serve God. The power of the human spirit. You get a lot of self-help books that talk about that. But the power that God offers you is not the power that comes through humanistic philosophy. We need His power working in us and then through us to accomplish His purpose for our lives. And it's not going to happen free of Him. We have to have His grace in our life. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Worry, fear, doubt, those things can leave us worn down. Uh, We struggle through life in our own strength. And if we do, that's what we'll end up with. Worry and fear and doubt. God offers to replace our inadequate resources with His power. How many... And I don't have time to go through them all, but just do a word search on the power of God. He wants to give us this power. He wants to infuse us with it. And that's what he's talking about here. But not uh, not the spirit of fear, but of power. The Greek word for that word power is dunamis. It refers to, we of course get our word dynamite from it. We're talking about real power here. It refers to the strength or power that is inherent, that resides in someone or something by virtue of his nature. Uh, And that is our new nature, obviously, not our old nature. Our God is a God of power and of might, and strength and power are inherent in His nature. In fact, a common name for Him in the Old Testament is Almighty God. He is Almighty. We call Him Omnipotent, All-Powerful. And that power is available to us. How? Well, the Holy Spirit, which resides in every Born again Christian, John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The moment you were saved, the Holy Spirit took residence within you, and with His constant presence, we have access to that power. Our will is not the source of our power. It can't be. Our thoughts are not the source of our power. He is the source of our power and of our strength. And so we must depend on Him rather than our own strength. I deal probably the, the majority of my counseling is people who are depending on their own abilities, their own power to do a job, and they're frustrated to be able to do it. 
the Holy Spirit has to impart grace and strength, and he does so to a yielded Christian. Luke chapter 24, verse 49, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. The Holy Spirit will not force grace on us, but his grace works in our lives as we are yielded to him. What's uh, that verse, Ephesians 5.18? But uh, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That's a great example of that. Why would there be that, that two, why would that coin have those two sides? Being filled with wine, being drunk with wine, being filled with Spirit. Because they do mostly the same thing. If you are intoxicated, uh, you are going to act different than you did before. If you are drunk with wine, and I have never been drunk, I have seen it before, and I see the effect it has on people. Your walk is affected. Your talk is affected. How you see yourself is majorly affected. You think you're 10 feet high and bulletproof. Uh, how you see others are affected. The way you think of your own abilities are affected. People who are drunk often think they can do things like dance, and they can't. Or they think they can sing, and they can't. All right. Uh, so how we feel about our own ability, it's all affected when you're drunk with wine. When you're filled with the Spirit. You know what's going to happen? Your walk is affected. Your talk is affected. The way you view yourself is affected. The way you view others is affected. The way you view your own abilities is affected. All these things happen when we're filled with the Spirit. So the Bible talks about us, uh, these two opposites. So don't and by the way, you only become drunk with wine as you yield yourself to the, to the wine. You're drinking it. You're imbibing it. I've never been drunk because I've never yielded to it. No, nope, I'm not going to drink it. Uh, and so, because I don't yield to that, I'm not drunk with wine. So now, on the other hand, he says, as we yield to the Holy Spirit, we are filled with the Spirit. We have this, you know, we have different denominations and religions teach different things. It's not, uh, you know, when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians teaches us that. And it's not that uh, that we, if we're good, if we do right, we get more of the Holy Spirit. It's really being filled with the Spirit is Him getting all of us. We are yielding ourselves to Him. That's what we are to do. That's what Ephesians 5.18 is about. So in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, the next verse tells us to quench not the Spirit. How often do we grieve or quench the Holy Spirit? We desire, hey, don't we desire God's strength in our life? Second question, doesn't God desire to give us his strength? So then why do we struggle? Why do we have such a problem living with God's strength in our life? Well, that's where we have to examine our heart and see if we are grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. Are we bitter? Are we rebellious? Are we stubbornly refusing to let go of a sin in our life? When we harbor bitterness or sin in our hearts, we quench the work of the Holy Spirit. In his book on how to pray, E.M. Bounds writes this, and it's a lengthy quote, but I just think this is so good. And I, I quote, We constantly endeavor to devise new methods, new plans, new organizations to advance the church and secure enlargement for the gospel. He goes on to say, Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. When the church, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods. That is so important. It, I love 
programs in the church. I love coming up with new things that we can do. I, I like figuring out ways we can funnel the gospel out into the community or children and families. But God's not, His, His Holy Spirit doesn't flow through a method. It flows through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men, end quote. I think it's important for us to remember that. I go to pastors' conferences, and a lot of times the attitude of people that go there is they want the next slick campaign of what they can do to go home and put to work, and then my church will be big like this church. And where the real answer is, you know, if you could get a heart like that pastor's got, or you could build yourself, uh, sometimes that's more important than getting some kind of uh, fancy program. Right? Programs are good. We need them. All right? we need, I believe in the bus route. I believe in children's ministries. I believe in seniors' ministries. I believe in all these things. We need those things. But that's not going to replace a man that's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how the Holy Spirit works. Uh, what does he see then when he looks at you? And that's the question. Power. He gives us power for every burden. Timothy would face some big burdens. His friend, his mentor, Paul, uh, would soon be put to death. Uh, Timothy was still a relatively young man. That's one of the things that Paul is trying to uh, bolster him in his uh, boldness. Not everybody takes him serious as a spiritual leader. He's having to confront false teaching and apostasy in the church, and he's going to have to do it without Paul's help, as Paul's going to be off the scene. He's going to face persecution himself. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but church history teaches us that Timothy was pastoring in Ephesus and was causing such a problem for the idolaters that they dragged him out while he was preaching and they uh, killed him. He was martyred. So he would face a lot of burdens and he would face, uh, he, he had faced and he would face more. It's no wonder that Paul now writes to him of grace. Gives us power uh, for every burden. Power for witnessing. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 for our gospel came not to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. We make such a mistake thinking that God touches people through our abilities. Man, God's lucky to have me. Oh, he's lucky to have me just because I'm so, I'm so talented. He's not. Read the story of the talents. Jesus tells, you remember the one guy that kept his talent and buried it in the ground? What did, Jesus did not praise him for his talent. He, pray, he, he actually cursed him for not using his talent. He doesn't care about your talent that he gives you. He wants you to do something with it and, and enlarge it. And so we, we make this mistake sometimes of, of thinking it's us that does it. You can't get a clearer picture than the Apostle Peter who... When he was a disciple, Jesus is being marched through the streets. He's about to be crucified the next morning. Three times he denies Jesus. He does once to just a little girl, a young girl. Can't stand up for his Savior to a little girl. And then you have just a couple of chapters later in Acts, he's preaching on Pentecost. Thousands of people get saved. They throw him in jail. He says, we ought to obey God rather than men. We're not going to stop preaching. What happened to Peter? Acts 1.8 happened to Peter, but ye shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Listen, everything changes with the Holy Spirit's power in our life. And we better stop thinking it's us, because God doesn't, it's not about what you can do for him, it's what he can do through you, and we need to let him work through us. 
Now, many people have difficulty speaking to someone about the gospel. It's a not a natural thing to do. You can argue about sports teams, uh, political opponents, and do that all day long, but when it comes to the gospel, it's just something about it just scares people. Gypsy Smith said this, anyone can preach to a crowd. It takes the grace of God to preach to one. <laughs> That's a lot of truth in that. It's, uh, it's hard sometimes. Uh, you ever go door knocking? We still do that, uh, not at this time of the year, but we do, still do some door knocking, take the gospel out and invite folks to church. Have you ever knocked on a door before and, and uh, hope against all hope? Nobody's home. You know you've done that. You've been out there if you're human, because it's not an easy thing. It's, uh, it's not a natural thing for us to witness to people. And we still aren't going to... By the way, it doesn't matter how polished you get, you're not going to do anything without God's power anyway. Because you can't reach a heart. If, if I had the power to change someone's hearts, there'd be a couple of my children I'd, tr I'd first apply that to. you know. But I don't have the power to. We can't change hearts. We can only... Give the truth, and then God has to do the work. And so we have to depend on the Holy Spirit's power. And then we could go on there, but power for witnessing, then power in persecution. Uh, the threat of persecution that Timothy faced was real. Now in America, we've been blessed for many years uh, to worship, witness, and freedom. Uh, most of us have not faced any bad consequences yet. And I say yet because I don't know what's coming. Uh, there are many signs that this will not last long, and I pray that it will. Shame on us for not having taken more advantage of the freedom uh, to do more for the Lord. We don't have any guarantee that this freedom will stay. But we do face obstacles. We have cultural pressures today that it's harder than ever to raise godly kids in today's society. I know every generation says that above the previous generation, but i got to give it to the, young, the parents of young children today that have to deal with the, the likes of social media and electronics and the teaching that they're doing in schools and all these. It's, it's rough. It's a rough culture to raise godly children today. Uh, there's pressure for uh, churches to drop their doctrinal positions that they've held for many years. I've got nothing against anybody preaching on TV, but there's a, there's a lot of churches that have a lot of attention uh, from people through television and, and all those things that they don't stand for anything. I mean, they just don't. It's all about love and every day is a Friday and good feelings and emotions and marshmallows and there's no truth being preached and that's, that's a sad thing. That needs to continue. Look at the preaching of John the Baptist. Look at the preaching of Jesus. I wonder if there's five churches in America that could handle the preaching of John the Baptist. <laughs> He was uh, pretty straightforward. So, trying to accommodate current practices is the ruin of many families, churches, uh, organizations, because we need to stand firmly for the Word of God. Colossians 1.10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power. There it is again. We are strengthened through His power, not our own. We ought to refuse to change things that are right, even if by doing so it would make our life easier. How many times do we compromise because it makes our life easier? We've got to hold strong to right. 
All right, secondly, and we have no time to go through all three of these, but second thing he says here is love. He has a power, which we know comes from above, and of love. In struggles and difficulties, we need the reassurance of love. Now, why is it, do you think, when a child scrapes his or her knee, they run up to their mother and they ask their mother to kiss it? Now, I, I do not have a medical degree, but I don't think that does any good for the wound at hand. Kiss, the, kiss it, make it all better. Uh, it does make a difference in the mind because it's an expression of love that gives hope to the hurting one. It reassures them. And grace comes when our hearts are hurting, and we need that reassurance with love from God. We have a love uh, for God that reassures us. Grace provides us with a personal relationship with the love of God. That is an experience of His love that brings salvation to our hearts, and uh, we respond to His love. The Bible tells us that in 1 John 4.19, we love Him because He first loved us. And our love for God is not something that we produce on our own. It's a reflection of and a response to the love that He first lavished on us. Boy, that's an amazing thing, that God loved us when we were unworthy. He died for us when we were undeserving and gives us the gift of salvation, though none of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that we were the enemies of God, yet He loved us. That sacrificial love, it cannot be measured or compared by any human standard. It's like the line in a Charles Wesley film, uh, film, M. I don't think Charles Wesley made any films, but that Charles Wesley hymn, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, that's God's love for us. Now we reflect the spirit of His love, 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love. Remember what it says in our passage here. Not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear, uh, he that feareth is not made perfect in love, because fear hath torment. That's the words I missed there. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Once we have his love, we can reflect it to others. Now, love is not simply a feeling of affection for someone. You know, as well as I know, there are some people that we have natural feelings of affection for. I mean, I run into people and I immediately like them. I talk to them, we have things in common, and uh, we, there's a commonality there, there's a pleasantness, and uh, we hit it off. You know what it means by hitting it off. Then there's some people that you don't hit it off with. They're in the same church, maybe. Uh, you just, maybe the personalities clash a little bit. And it's not, you don't have a natural affection for them. What are we supposed to do there? Love them. Love them anyway. We are to love, uh, especially within the house of faith, we are to love. Uh, he, there is no fear in love. It, perfect love casteth out fear. He that feareth not, is not made perfect in love. So we ought to be actively working and sacrificing to make the other person's life better, just like God did, just like Jesus Christ did. Love is not something we stumble into. Love is a verb. It's an action. Read 1 Corinthians 13, and you'll see what love does. It doesn't talk about what love is. It talks about what love does, because love is an action word. It's a verb. 
And it was God's love for us that sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's a reflection of that love that motivates us to reach out with the gospel to a lost and dying world. I don't know the exact numbers, but uh, a lot of money last year through our church went into the mission field. And our folks, and I'm grateful, we're in a mission-minded church. We gave many tens of thousands of dollars into to areas none of us have ever been to. Uh, to people, we just uh, were able to last week, a gift came in. Remember Brother Dan Grings of the Congo was here a couple of weeks ago? And he's got a church. Man, those people had pictures. They were lugging rocks up hills, and they were building this church. They were tired of this tin church blowing away, so they're going to build one with the rocks. And they're built... And they got it all the way up ready for the roof. And uh, they needed uh, 2600 for the roof to be finished. Someone in our church gave twice that to be able to build, put that roof. We've never seen those people. We don't know those people by name. One day we'll meet them in heaven. Amen. But what causes that? The love of Christ causes that. We, are, we, don't, ha- we don't have to meet them. Okay, I guess I like you. I can give an offering to you. That's not what this is about. We're loving on people we've never met because... God loves them, Christ loved them enough to die for them, and we want to pass that message on, and so that's what makes it, that's what motivates us. The love of Christ motivates us. Now, that, that is something that ought to be a part of our life. To the lovable and the sometimes unlovable. I know not everyone is lovable. I'm not telling you that as, as shocking news. You know that. There's not everyone is lovable. Now, this will shock you. This next statement will shock you. I'm not lovable to everyone. That is shocking, isn't it? I see everybody's jaws drop. There are people that don't like me. I know that's hard to believe, but that's the way. Not everybody. By the way, do I? can I judge them as a person just because of what they think of me? We do that, don't we? Oh, they don't like me. They're horrible people. Well, maybe they just don't like you. <laughs> doesn't make them bad people. So I can't necessarily judge someone by what they think of me. And we can't judge other people on what we think of them. We just ought to love, the, ought to love people with the love of Christ. And the love of Christ does not discriminate. We don't earn God Christ's love. He just gives it. While we were His enemies, He loved us. Why then do we act like people within the church have to earn my affection? They have to earn my love. They... Or they do. They did so and so, or they said so and so and so. I can't love them. Well, I'm telling you, I'm glad that Christ didn't have that attitude. Amen. And uh, we'd all be in big trouble. So we have a love for God and a love for others. Galatians 5:22. But the fruit of the spirit is what's the first fruit of the spirit? Anybody tell me? Love. Not the fruits, by the way. You've seen that before, right? You can't. Uh, Galatians 5:22. It gives us a list. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. It's, it's not a McDonald's menu. It's, it's, a, it's the whole thing. You, all, the one fruit, all of those things are part of the fruit. We ought to be growing in all those. It's easy for us to look at that and say, I'll take some love, take some of that. I, I'll go ahead and pass on the long-suffering. Well, we can't do that. It's all part of that. And so the fruit, but the first one listed is love. Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. When we love God, we're walking in the Spirit, it is natural for us to love others. What are you saying, preacher? Well, if you are displaying hostility 
towards somebody, a brother or sister in Christ, you are not walking in the Spirit. You are not, uh, I don't believe you're right with God. I don't believe that I can hate someone and be right with God. It can't, it doesn't work that way. This has to be right for this to be right. And this has to be right for this to be right. Uh, the, as far as relationship speaking. And so, uh, we have to examine our hearts in that area. In loving others, there's a little bit of a risk. You risk the possibility of being hurt. But remember, the spirit of fear of being hurt, or whatever the fear is, why we don't love somebody, the spirit of fear doesn't come from God. Whereby process of elimination does it come from then? Doesn't come from God? Yeah, there's not that many sources, you know. It's either coming from the devil or it's coming from God. So his spirit gives you love for others. So then examine your heart tonight. How is my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ? If there's somebody that the Holy Spirit's putting their finger right now on your heart or your mind of, of, uh, that you have hatred for or uh, you, know, you, you, you can't get along with, we need to get that thing right in our heart and our life before we move on. Remember that God loves us when we are undeserving. He loves us when we are unlovable. And so, how dare us say, well, thanks, Lord, but I will only love people who treat me super nice and who do things for me. That's not how that works. Are you walking in the Spirit? Are your actions and your reactions controlled by Him? Are you reflecting and expressing God's love to others? That's an area, that's a way we can gauge whether the grace of God is working through us and reaching others. How can we be recipients of God's great grace and not be givers of it? Let's make sure that we let Him flow that through us. When it comes to God's grace, by the way, our lives should be a river, not a reservoir. We're not collecting all His grace and just taking and taking and taking. We're letting it flow through us and reaching others as well. Very quickly, uh, I'll just sum this up. His grace reassures us with power then, and He says, love and then with a sound mind. A sound mind is a mind that is well-balanced under sound influences. Now, there are a lot of forces in this world that would love to influence and control your mind. Satan knows if he can control your thinking, then he will eventually control your conduct because our conduct follows our thinking. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so our conduct follows our thinking. So the Holy Spirit works in the lives of yielded Christians to control their minds for righteousness. Through salvation, uh, salvation is uh, obviously the first step, amen, to having a, a controlled mind through the Holy Spirit. Salvation allows us the ability to understand spiritual things um, <coughs> through the Scriptures. The philosophies and opinions of men change all the time. Boy, I'm glad I don't have to put my foundation on scientific discoveries and truth because that changes all the time. I mean, look at what science said 200 years ago, 100 years ago, 50 years ago. That's changing all the time. I'd rather put my faith, trust, and foundation in something that is absolutely unchanging, it is solid, it is worthwhile. We can build our life on it and it will never, ever change. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. There's no other foundation 
on which you can develop a settled mind than the Word of God. We've got to make the Word our guide. We've got to be in this on a daily basis. We have to read. We have to, by the way, uh, the Bible tells us in Joshua that it's not only reading, it's meditating on it that guarantees our success. So we need to make this Word of God a everyday part of our life. He talks about it here in uh, verse number, or uh, where does it say here in verse 5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. He talks about it in 2 Timothy 3.15, and from the child thou hast known the holy scriptures taught by those ladies, and able to make thee a wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Knowing the Bible requires some study, requires some effort. D.L. Moody said, I'm glad there are things in the Bible I do not understand. If I could take that book up and read it as I would any other book, I might think I could write a book like that. <laughs> when you read the Bible, you'll realize you couldn't write a book like that at all. Uh, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit, though, to help us to understand the Scriptures, and that helps us to have a sound mind. 2 Timothy 3.16, you know the verse well, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and uh, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And that will help us through the Word of God. So, God wants to give you grace to live in power, in love, and in a sound mind. And we can have it. We get it through Him. We get it through the Word of God. Uh, we cannot try to manufacture these things on our own. We'll spin our wheels, we'll be frustrated, we'll be angry, and it'll show in our service to the Lord. So, God wants you to have that grace. He wants you to have this. Will you then uh, live in power and love and of a sound mind? The choice is up to you because as you yield to His Spirit, you can experience these things. When you grow in grace, allowing your confidence in Him to overcome your doubts, your fears, then we can remember this verse. God hath not given us the spirit of fear. And yet, how many Christians live in fear? How many Christians live in fear? I couldn't do that. I mean, it's in every area when it comes to giving. Fear. Oh, I couldn't tithe. What would happen to my bills? Fear. I couldn't witness to that person. I'm scared. I can't talk to people. Fear. I can't love people. I might get hurt. Fear. God doesn't give that spirit. It comes from somewhere else. And so, let us live in power, love, sound mind. Thank you, Father.